Hello, listeners. This is episode one of an unnamed podcast. By the time you are listening to this, we will, you know, hopefully have a name. My name is Mark. And I'm Michael. And this podcast is going to kind of revolve around Industry 4.0. So some of the things that we want to do with this podcast is kind of keep up to date on the latest uh, Industry 4.0 related tech news. Michael, co-host, has a lot of personal projects that kind of link to Industry 4.0. So whether that's 3D printing or, you know, home automation, we'll kind of keep tabs on those kind of projects. And if listeners are interested, we go into further detail on those. Another aspect of the podcast that we want to bring is, you know, some professional resources for younger professionals, kind of like us that are interested in Industry 4.0. And then, you know, even further in the future, it'd be really nice to have interviews with professionals in these fields. And one of our like stretch goals would be to have like Andrew Yang on. So if we can uh, get that accomplished, that would be a a nice bucket list item. Yang Yang 2024. (laughs) (laughs) So with this episode, we wanted to just kind of cover what is Industry 4.0. And when we keep saying Industry 4.0, we mean the fourth industrial revolution. So just a quick quick overview of who we are. So uh, Mark and myself, you know, we, we both graduated from U of M um, in Twin Cities, right? Uh, about four years, years ago now, which is crazy. Um, I graduated as a mechanical engineer and spent a lot of time working in the product design school. I don't quite have my minor in that, but... Um, pretty darn close. Mark was uh, industrial engineering. Industrial. Did, you, <laughs> did you end up? Uh, did you end up actually getting any minors to go with that, or was that just? No, a, I was like you. I was like close. I was like really close to like a management minor, but it like didn't really oh. help me at all. You know, yeah, yep. or professionally. So I remember that. Yep. So what have I done? So I started my career as a design engineer, um, focused on cost savings projects. Uh, did a lot, ran a lot of uh, ECNs and things like that, right? Paperwork, engineering paperwork, you know, ran tests in the labs, things like that. Um, started getting into uh, applying some of my, you know, passion projects at work. You know, I basically said, hey, on top of just being able to do paperwork, I know Arduinos, I can, you know, do automation, things like that. Um, I also know a lot about 3D printing. Our office didn't even have a 3D printer at that point, right? Um, and so... And I basically put together a business case. I learned, okay, like how do we spend money around here? And it's a, it's a fairly financially driven company. So it's like, well, you're gonna have to put together a business case to invest a couple thousand dollars, which to a lot of people who work for bigger firms, that sounds crazy. Engineers just have charge cards and they just, you know, spend a couple thousand dollars a month. They just charge it and their boss might look it over a little bit, make sure they're not buying instant pots and um, air fryers (laughs) on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, so I ended up working on that, brought that in. I actually had to like, think about like, well, gee, how does, how does a desktop 3d printer, how does that save a company money? Like in an engineering department, right? Like we're not producing parts. We're not manufacturing anything that's going to be sold to customers. Like how does a 3d and you know, you, you get into all the buzzwords of like rapid prototyping and like, you know, rapid innovation and things like that. And it's like, okay, like how can you tie dollars and cents to that? Um, and that's what I like, I kind of got run down that route. And like, that was a very different way for like an engineering, you know, maybe a little, um, off the wall, like just creative type to sit down and like pencil out. Okay. Like 
how much do we spend on prototyping and what's the budget for prototyping per year and how much of that could we, you know, um, do ourselves versus sending out to like a company like Stratasys Direct or some or service like Stratasys mm-hmm. Direct. And so we kind of started there and it really snowballed from there. Um, went from that eventually had a major supply chain disruption, which basically I had a plant manager approach me and was like, Hey, you've printed lots of stuff. Is there any chance? It was just a, it was a, a handle, you know, very simple part, but Hey, this is a handle that goes onto a valve that, uh, you know, we're out of and we're like six months out, you know, it'd be unreasonable to machine one from to resource it any other way. Do you think we could 3d print it? But well, sure. We can take a look at it. Right. Uh, made a couple samples, put them on tests, you know, came up with a couple of real world tests in our, in our, um, our qualification lab and basically proved out, Hey, this solution works great. You know, we can produce them pretty quickly on very low cost machines and started doing that in production essentially. So, you know, I bought Chinese $400 3d printers and upgraded them. Myself. <laughs> like I literally, I literally like we ordered them and I stayed late one night at work and I built, you know, put together like three Creality CR4 S's or whatever and upgraded them um, to handle composite materials like the carbon fiber um, filaments and stuff like that. And we just, we uh, started printing handles. Uh, at that point, I took a job in manufacturing. I started running a production line uh, out on the production floor, which was scary. That was a big, a big <laughs> jump for someone like, and Mark probably laughs and, you know, probably thought that was the craziest thing he had probably heard at the time when I'm like, yeah, I'm a manager now. And he's like, <laughs> I thought you were going to be a professor and like go to grad school and like be a nerd, like a hardcore nerd. And now I'm like, you know, managing 30 people. And it was, it was a huge wild change to go from, you know, being kind of like the, the automation 3d printer nerd to like managing people. Oh, and I was still the 3d printing nerd. We were still producing <laughs> those parts in production, which was wild. Um, does a lot of work all at once. And basically at some point that kind of fizzled out and, you know, they straightened out the supply chain issue. Um, and at that point it's like, Hey, we want to go bigger with this, right? We want to like put, we want to go find like real, like a real production grade solution or moving towards a production grade solution. Like, you know, I, at that point I had been to a rap and TCT, uh, trade show, saw a lot, learned a lot. Right. You know, at that point it was all you know, at home tinkering with FDM, FFF style printers, right? For those who are familiar with those terms, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I should be like the unsuspecting listener. Like, what does that stuff mean? Yeah. So uh, to, to define those, so FDM refers to, it's a trademark term from Stratasys. Uh, and that stands for Fused Deposition Modeling. So that's your your standard, um, that's your standard desktop model 3D printer that you think of, you buy filament for it. It's a hot glue gun that moves around in a Cartesian space and prints parts, right? Um, FFF is your fused filament fabrication. Um, And essentially it's an open source spin on FDM to get around trademarks and things like that. So technically if you're writing a paper or whatever and you want to avoid trademarks, you'd use FFF. Now almost everybody in the industry uses FDM, but anyway. So what, what we ended up spiraling back to what I was going with this and where this podcast and, you know, kind of all that came from and becoming an industry, you know, 4.0 type person, um, going to going to like a trade show and seeing what like professional and all you start using the word additive manufacturing, um, yep. you know, looks like, right. Where, you know, actually I plus, you know, humble brag, little plug. Uh, wrote a little <laughs> article, explain the difference between 3D printing and additive manufacturing. Check it out. Um, 
But essentially the the TLDR on that is 3D printing is digital model making, right? You're submitting a, a digital format file and you're getting a physical part. Um, whereas added manufacturing is like a process controlled production method. And the difference in that is, I like to say is basically like 3D printing, you can just upload a file, hit go, and it'll produce a part. And, you know, there's no engineering drawing with it. There's no tolerances. There's, you know, um, it's not robust. It's, you know, half the time you have to mess with it to get the part, the thing to work, right? I mean, Mark spent a lot of time watching me mess around with 3D printers in my do- in our dorm room over uh, over college. You know, they're, they're a ton of work to keep that kind of system up and running. They're much better now than they used to be, especially. But, um, you know, that's kind of the difference is it's really like you're talking like a production piece of equipment versus... Um, you know, more of a prototyping, you know, desktop office environment. Yeah. And so anyway, spiraling, continuing on with that story, essentially wrote another business case to bring in another, you know, a, a, lot, a much larger spend um, to bring in uh, is HP's multi-jet fusion 540 system. Big printer. It's a big printer uh, compared. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, it's a freestanding, like stands on a cement floor. It's, you know, working height um, producing like, on the order of like 250 pounds of plastic parts a year there. It's a, it's a, it's a powder based process, no support materials. The nylon is as strong as an injection molded part. Awesome. The parts look amazing. There's no layer lines, all awesome. Um, spent a year, you know, fixed some more problems, had some more supply disruptions, saved a bunch more money, basically, um, continued on that path and basically filled that machine up in about a year. And then it was like, okay, let's spend more money. So we invested into, uh, I, you know, kind of wrote the business case for a multi-jet fusion 5200 system, which is an even bigger printer, um, you know, more production focused, focused, um, you know, more, more volume, lower cost per, per pound of plastic, things like that. So that's more like 2,500 pounds of plastic printed per year, which is, you know, depending on what kind of injection molding you're used to, that's not a lot, but you know, for a, for an additive process like that, that's, it's, it's a lot of plastic. Um, it's amazing the throughput on that. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. We're looking at metals, um, starting to work with like, uh, you know, teams that, that are, we're looking at like connected devices and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and, um, apps and things like that. Um, so all really exciting stuff. And it's cool that it's kind of like a blend between work and like, you know, I'll go at home, uh, make an automated thermostat or I'll make a, an automated system for uh, brewing, you know, mead or an automated temperature humidity sensor for sourdough, you know, and kind of that's, yeah. kind of, that's <laughs> fun to measure that kind of stuff. But it's, it's really cool seeing the parallels where you can go from monitoring and measuring and keeping track of a sourdough and you can take that and you can be measuring hydraulic, you know, componentry or, um, you know, applying, you know, Bluetooth connection and monitoring to a product that you're working on at work or integrating software. I mean, it's um, the the line starts to blur between like, you know, hobby grade projects and what you can apply at work. And there's value to it. I mean, that's like, you know, one of the big cool new things in engineering is making everything smart. And you've probably seen it, right? Like you go to the grocery store or like go to like um, going to a Best Buy is so weird now. It's like, They've got like computers and TVs and they sell like, they have like random old graphics cards are selling for way too much and stuff like that. And then like, they've got this huge section and it's all home automation. And it's like these like, you know, lights, like tile lights that you put on your ceiling. And it's like, 
you know, all the, all the appliances that go into houses now are smart and like talk to each other and like your, your fridge can let you know if you're out of eggs. It's like, I mean, that's, it, some of it seems really gimmicky, but like as that starts developing, getting better and better, I mean, that's, that's your back to the future kind of stuff. So it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's multidisciplinary. Yeah. Um, it's complicated and, you know, hence kind of the, the idea to start the podcast. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> and if you, after listening to that, haven't gathered that Michael maybe has a little more experience in this area than I do, uh, you'd be correct. So I am an industrial engineer. I guess the way I link to this is like, I work a lot with like labor management and the way we get like all of our data now is connected. So as people are scanning product and stuff, I get, you know, live numbers as to how their performance is and what we can do with that data. So it's just the, as, and we'll talk about it, like the internet of things, how everything is connected, you know, from your fridge telling, like you said, you're like, oh, you're out of eggs. It sends you a text, like you should go get some eggs or being able to check your security system from across the world. It's a uh, very interesting. One thing I wanted to do during this episode, just so kind of everyone is on the same page and up to speed is just kind of go briefly through the first three industrial revolutions, because as the focus of this is for, it might be nice to know, hmm, what happened before? What was the previous? So with the Industrial Revolution you know, 1.0, it really kind of revolved around the textile industry and going from hand production of goods to using machines. And this was kind of like the late 1700s to early mid 1800s. The second Industrial Revolution is probably the one you're, you think of when you think of the phrase Industrial Revolution. And that's like the beginning of the 20th century. That's railway steam, um, you know, beginning of gasoline, things like that, telegraph, uh, those technologies that led into like World War One. Electricity, big one there, because I think like that really helped develop and modernize like the production line just from a operation time standpoint, like earlier mornings, later, adding second and third shifts, like that increased everyone's work hours, uh, the light bulb. So that's like where, you know, you get your kids crawling into coal mines and 16 hour <laughs> work days and that's where the 40 hour work week came from. This is our forefathers, you know, fought for, fought for that. And that was when, uh, when your unions were still considered a, a good thing, right. Or were very popular with most people unlike today. Yeah. But yeah. Back then that's what drove all that. So then like kind of after world war two, the third industrial revolution was digital in a sense, but not probably as digital as we think today. And like, when I think of the third industrial revolution, I think of just like early, early computers, like the the full room computers that you'd see in your history textbooks. Like this had how many like kilobytes of, you know, disk space and stuff like that. It's like that doesn't even compute to me anymore because like that's so small and all these different things. But and then, you know, of course, moving on to industry 4.0, just like interconnection, automation, the Internet of Things, uh, everything being like hyper connected. And that's like what we're in currently. And that was kind of, what was it? It was 2011 that the the term industry 4.0 kind of gained popularity or was created. Yeah. And, and, and some, and some sources will, will comment and say like the 1990s is kind of like the mm. internet. Um, you know, you start talking about like internet of things. It's like, well, you got to have the internet. That's like a really good point. <laughs> like that's like, you know, mass global communication, um, you know, the internet and like we grew up uh, you know, going from dial up to, you know, seeing DSL get installed. And, um, I mean, that was a big deal <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what kicked a lot of this off and it's what made the world that we're used to today. Yep, I mean, that's exactly. how we, 
record this podcast remotely, you know, 500, not 500, 300 miles away from each other. Um, the connection, the lag is almost zero. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Here's a couple of examples where industry 4.0 is in your everyday life and politics and news cycles and, uh, TikTok and whatever social media platforms you consume. Um, you know, as far as like automation goes, uh, all the, all the work that's going into things like Amazon delivery drones, I know like in the UK, they're like actively testing that right now. Um, that kind of technology is 100% falls in this bucket, you know, same thing with like Tesla autopilot, um, and then just smart devices in general, which I think we've mentioned, we've talked about a little bit here, but, um, all your smart fridges and microwaves and, uh, thermostats and all that stuff is, you know, uh, tying into a connected web that's beginning to talk together. Um, right now it just talks to you with all these poorly written apps on the Apple store, but eventually, you know, that stuff is going to get better and actually like tie into each other and kind of act as like a web versus you just talking to all of these little devices that are around your house. I know I use like the Google home stuff. And like when I would like walk into my door, I'd be like, Hey Google, I'm home. And it would say, welcome back. And it turn on all my like lights that I have connected to my smart outlets. So, and that's like a very small chunk of it, like a just smart outlets and a, a Google home mini. Like you can do so much more now with that and everything. Like I know Apple has their, like it's called their home kit and you can, have your smart doorbell hooked up so that when you're watching TV on your Apple TV and someone rings your doorbell, it shows up a little video screen of who's at your door on your TV. So you don't even have to like get up. So if it's just like yeah. the delivery guy, like, Oh, it's just a delivery guy. I'll just leave it. That little screen goes away and you keep watching your movie. It's like, this is going to get pretty, like, what are they going to keep doing? How is, how is this going to keep evolving into crazier and crazy, crazier stuff, which is kind of the point of this podcast. So hopefully I keep up to date on things. One thing I don't want to happen to me is like, oh, I'm, you know, 55 or 60. And I said, like, no idea what's going on. <laughs> so if we keep doing this for 20 yeah. years, uh, we'll be good because we'll be uh, continually up to date on the newest stuff. Lifelong learner, right? That's the that's yeah. the whole goal here. So in yeah. uh, going into that, I mean, you know, we, we got to talk about connectivity. And I think the one of the more political topics would be like a 5G networking. You know, there's a lot going on about that. Um We'll we'll stay out of that for right now. Uh, but five G is a very industry four like very um, IoT focused kind of connection protocol. I don't want to get like way into the weeds on it. Maybe we can do a, a whole episode focused on five G. But essentially, the idea is instead of having like dedicated cell services that go directly from that cell tower directly to the user and back, the whole idea is like having a distributed mesh network, and so like a signal can ping along. And use like, imagine down your street corner, like every building would have a, a high a high bandwidth um, receiver and sender. And basically you send your message and it can ping along all the buildings and get to the transceiver circuit, which is going to go and be connected to like a landline and go like up, you know, connect to the Amazon servers or whatever, get to a switchboard that way. Um, and that's like a very different way of thinking about it. Yeah, we, maybe we should do an episode on that because I, I've like looked into 5G. I just thought that, you needed all those different hubs, you know, like on every block of your street because the range was so bad on the ultra wide band 5G. So that could be something we both look into. And uh, viewers, if you wanted to hear an episode on 5G, let us know and we'll do all the research and bring you our findings. Yeah, no, that's a, that is a good point. I mean, it 5G encompasses all of the other bands, but you're right, is that because it uses a, 
a f- higher frequency bandwidth. Um, it doesn't yeah. travel through buildings and things like that. Even 4G, I mean, I have Verizon and I know if I'm like inside of the gym and inside of like a steel shed building, you know, the signal's not very good. And that's because Verizon uses different signal and different technologies going on there and it performs better outside and is faster, um, but it doesn't penetrate buildings as well. And that's why like some services, yeah. depending on what towers you're connected to, will actually perform better. But 5G is like 10 times, I don't know if it's actually 10 times, but it's like on the order of like 10 times higher frequency than that. So it performs really, really poorly going even like from through a wall. Um, so that's yeah. kind of why it needs that that mesh network. But by, I think w- one thing that I think is important with that is it's the idea of like decentralization and like kind of reduction of autonomy, if that makes sense, right? Like it's not your signal connecting to the tower and it's only talking to you. It's like, okay, well, you know, your Wi-Fi, your, your receiver on top of your house might be passing information from other people on the streets and on their phones, on the, you know, commuting on the highway, on the road outside your house, going back and forth. And it could be taking signals from people all around you all day long. And it's like, it's not necessarily your Wi-Fi router anymore um, mm. or like your signal. And it's only going from your phone to that tower and then back. Right. Um, and then up to the, up to space or wherever it needs to go. But kind of interesting, like that decent, I think that decentralization and kind of like, um, but also with like increased security and stuff. So like your signal is more encrypted, but like can be, ha- it's safe to be handed off to like multiple receiver and sender stations like that. I think that's kind of an interesting topic. Um, and, you know, maybe gets into some more ethics and stuff like that, but um, kind of giving up that autonomy of like, this is my signal and my piece of equipment and only my stuff goes through it and like mm, opening yeah. up and like, you know, your, your signal, your house might be, handling signals for your neighbor or you might be using your neighbor's signal or you're in another city and you're borrowing you know receivers that are on someone else's building and that's part of the mesh network that's part of like all the you know you read the articles about verizon spending billions of dollars putting um antennas all over all the downtown skyscrapers and stuff to manage yeah in the city but that's why and it's kind hmm. of a it's just interesting that way so yeah, anyway, i didn't know that actually um, and then Starlink, I mean, obviously that's a that's a huge deal right now. Anything Tesla is a big deal, um, you know, Dogecoin, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, but Starlink is another another example of like a mesh network, but it's literally a mesh of satellites, satellites, yeah, in orbit over our heads, and it's literally, you know, um, it's a very very interesting technology, and it works well too. That's the the great part is it it was a very far fetched idea, and like it works, and even in concept with a very, very partial covering of the night sky. Like people who are out in the middle of nowhere essentially can get really good internet service, which yeah. is a big deal for rural, rural populations. Like really good internet. And I just watched a uh, Linus Tech Tips video on it. And it was very interesting because he, he went into depth on like, you know, they have like three layers of satellites. The closest one is like really dense and then they get further and further. But those, the ones further out in orbit have like a wider view. So they can like, they can, pass information they get a whole bunch and then they can pass it to the ones beneath it and i'm not doing a very good job explaining it but i thought that was really interesting yeah it's kind of that whole like how do you cover how do you cover things because i think what the what no one's ever thought like well gee you know you've got a geosynchronous satellite going overhead and it's like well i think like if you get into like adventure adventure gps's and stuff or like those like panic buttons that you know people who backpack way into alaska or whatever carry it's like Yep. It will be because like geosynchronous orbit is like 
something on the order of every 30 minutes. So there's one satellite that whizzing by overhead, like really fast. Mm. Uh, you've only got service for like five minutes and then it'll take, it has to go all the way around and come back over. over <laughs> and so there's like cases where like, you know, you've got to wait 15 minutes for service. And, and I'm not going to say nobody has thought of this, but like the idea of just covering, just blanketing the night sky so that you never have downtime. You know, that's really, that's really, that's uh that's very innovative. Very, very cool. So I actually need to still watch that video from Linus. Um, I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I was definitely, uh, definitely on my watch list. So. so then the next area is kind of 3D printing and additive manufacturing, which Michael is our resident, you know, I don't want to say expert and stuff, but he's pretty much an expert on all this stuff. And like we were looking at articles and, you know, Porsche is printing out parts for their cars. And in New York, they're building fully 3D printed homes. So like what's what's the future? Where does it like how far do people go with 3D printing? Because a fully 3D printed house is going pretty far. So pretty wild stuff. Yeah, I don't need to I don't need to pile into this one anymore. We'll probably a lot of the podcast episodes will eventually probably focus around this. Um going to a lot of yeah. detail here, but yeah, talk about the different applications and, you know, anything from printing widgets and toy printers at home and pancake bots and things like that, all the way up to um, printing boats and printing houses and, you know, even create, you know, printers on a space station, right? I mean, even, you know, as far away as that. So yeah, um, yeah very cool stuff to talk about. And then uh, getting into like robotics, I mean, like, you know, Boston, Boston Dynamic is a great example of like, good robots right i mean that's i think that's definitely something we've seen like with the and i think like kind of the pop culture like the um the animators and stuff are like kind of doing spins off of like where you don't really know if it's real or not like you know the the one where they they kick their they hand a gun to you know it looks like a robot but it's a guy in a costume and it's all cgi and stuff but like it looks it looks pretty good like you know at first it looks like a robot that's like fed up with being kicked over and hit with broomsticks and stuff. And yeah, I actually, uh, I subscribed to those guys on YouTube, their corridor crew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, but it's like to the point where you watch the videos of like real robots from, from Boston, uh, dynamics. And it's like, Oh wow. It's like, you're not, that is not a far leap at all to think about that kind of robot being used for, military applications or whatever, um, which I think has definitely caught the eye of like the public. Right. And that's where, you know, you see the CNN articles or whatever on it, but um, more importantly, and hopefully more so it'll be utilized for alleviating really, you know, horrible jobs where you're just lifting heavy weights and, you know, uh, ergonomic issues and warehousing jobs and things like that, where, you know, we can hopefully find um, better, better places to use human brains that are, you know, creative and uh, until the AI takes over and <laughs> is better at that. Better. I was going to bring up AI because Corridor Crew, the same people that um, did visual effects to make that robot look like it was, you know, sick of being kicked and pushed over and stuff. They do a whole bunch of AI stuff with video. And like, that's also something we could talk about a lot because that's just like, yeah. you know, computation and AI and making people look like other people, like they did like a Keanu Reeves, like deep fake where he was like in a gas station, but like, wasn't really Keanu Reeves. But I was like, that's a crazy good deep. Really fake. hard to tell. Yeah. 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 That's deep fakes. That that would be a whole good topic to go into as well with they I know that's like the bad side of it, which I don't want to like, it's like, yeah. uh, like robots <laughs> can take over the world or whatever the AI is going to get us. But, um, that is like something that we do need to deal with. Um, 
as a, as like a society and how you're going to deal with that because essentially anyone, anyone who's been on camera a lot and like has lots of footage of them talking and like mm-hmm. how their face moves and stuff, you can run the more, the more information, the more examples you have to feed into AI, the better it gets. So yeah. public officials, celebrities, whatever, um, they, they're at a huge risk of, I mean, you can basically put them on the body of whoever and make them say or do whatever. And it's like, and it, it, it gets to the point where like it passes the sniff test where like a human can't really tell anymore. Um, and that's definitely, that's definitely a, a crossing point where it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure out how to deal with this. So, but anyway, I, like, I guess yeah. I don't want to focus on just the scary stuff, but <laughs> be some of that too. So. Yeah. And then the last area I wanted to kind of cover in your connecting in industry 4.0 to the everyday life is just like wearables. Like I wear an Apple watch every day and it measures my heart rate and all these different things every day. And it, it's encrypted, you know, but it, you know, it sends all that data up to the cloud and it's kept there. And so like that, and like everyone knows the infamous example of Google glass and having that connectivity in your, you know, little eye thing and, people thinking you're snapping pictures of them secretly with your Google glass, but short, short lived. Well, it was kind of long lived actually, but uh, no more. Google glass is officially dead right now. Um, yeah. So many companies are working on the same thing, right? Like, like uh, Microsoft HoloLens is like, I think the most is focused at like industry, right? It's not focused so much at, yeah. at consumers, excuse me. Um, so that's, that's going to be a really cool one too. I know um, at work, we've been tossing around the idea of like, what would it take to set up like an op, like a, I don't want to say like a, like a service tech or something who can like, you know, service a piece of equipment and then like bring an engineer along with them. You know, they can be out in the field. Right. And they're like, they're running their standard manuals or something, something they don't know how to diagnose or something is significantly wrong or a customer needs a custom solution that, you know, we don't have a training manual done for that piece of equipment. It's like, you can bring along the whole engineering team, you know, it's like very, very cool application there. I think that'll be, I think that'll get to be kind of like our sci-fi future of like, you get to flip on your glasses and it's like, it's like AR. It's not, it's yeah. not virtual reality, but kind of that augmented. I think that'll, you know, it's very hypey at the moment. And like, the, you know, the you know, like the, the first iPhone that was able to do it or whatever. And it's like, they pitched like tabletop games where it would project augmented yeah. reality. You're like, oh, that's kind of that's cool-ish and then all the games were like super like tech demo-y and like you know they weren't like a real fun to play as that stuff continues to develop and get better though it's like okay this gets to be more and more of a compelling case as like time goes on for sure so crypto i think is like kind of in that same um bandwidth of like being just decentralized um open peer-to-peer communication in a way to to handle that and also crypto's kind of really popular and blowing up right now. So, you know, um, maybe in, maybe in a few months or something, maybe it'll be out of the news cycle. But, um, I think that's definitely one you, we could talk about as well. Yeah. It makes sense. It's in the, the same you know theme of things. Yep. It's also very popular to get those clicks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think that's where we're going to, uh, end today's episode. If industry 4.0 news and kind of personal projects and, professional resources and like insight into that interest you consider following us subscribing and uh just keeping up to date we're hopefully going to try to do this you know weekly and 
just delve into industry 4.0. Yeah, if you're interested in you know any any suggestions, interest in the topics, um, interest in being on the show, uh, you know something you'd like us to to do some research on and cover for you, shoot us a message. We'd be happy to take some feedback and and go from there. So I'm excited. This is my first podcast to kind of be a part of. So I'm excited for this. Mark's a seasoned expert over here, but um, I think it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Same. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, see you next week. Bye.